Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. And I just, I've been listening to the last podcast episodes, um, like I, I said, I think the last week, and I came across the episodes where we recorded in our living room. And man, our living room, I'm sorry, guys, it's too big. <laughs> no comment? <laughs> it's, it's it's not, not big. It's but... a nice size, but it com- it's combined with the living room and the dining room or the kitchen and the dining room. And it's not full of stuff, you know, so it, there's a lot of echo. And I know that my brother had a hard time editing the um, editing out the echo. And so we sounded quite robotic. Anyway, we now record. We Then we also record once in our office. And again, we have to have the same problem in the office. Plus, now there's too many fans whirring in there. Anyway, so we also record in the office, but it's it's echoey in there too, and we've got too many fans that are going, and so now we actually record in our bedroom. Which is going to be awkward when we have guests. It'll be fun. It'll, no. <laughs> I was the one that said awkward earlier, and you said... You. I triggered you. <laughs> yes, you did. I was like, we're... we're ta- I invited one of my author friends next time he's in town to come and do a an episode with us, and I was like, but it could be kind of awkward recording in our bedroom and what did you say it was exciting it was it would be fun or exciting or something yeah. oh geez anyway <laughs> um yeah so now we're recording in our room which it we have curtains we have the bed we have blankets you know and it's and then the closet of course it's full of clothes so lots of places for our echo to get absorbed and we hung we actually hung tons of blankets in the office and tried that but it's still it was too echoey yeah Anyway, so our schedule, uh, let me make sure I'm not skipping anything. Okay. Um, Our schedule for the next, we've actually got all the way through the end of July scheduled out. So if you haven't watched any of these movies and you're interested in watching them, then feel free to check them out. This week we're doing Jurassic World. Then we're doing Johnny English. And then June 6th-ish will be our marketing episode. Then we'll do Thor Ragnarok. And then Lars and the Real Girl, which is... A kind of obscure movie. It's an indie film. It's really fun. Then we'll do Jurassic World 2, which comes out on June 22nd. I'm very excited about it. Then we'll do Casino Royale, Hunger Games, 10 Things I Hate About You, and Finding Forrester. Okay, so any updates this week from you? No. No, I sprained my ankle. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I especially since I dictate and I walk while I'm dictating. Um, I guess I was trying to be like my mother-in-law because she spra- she broke her ankle on one set of our stairs and I sprained my ankle on another set of stairs. And now we've got... There's really nothing wrong with our stairs. <laughs> there is not. <laughs> They're perfectly functional stairs. <laughs> and I do have to tell you, it was kind of funny. I'm We're heading to church because we're religious. And I was carrying a whole bunch of stuff because I was going to teach primary, the, the group of young kids. And... I was backing away from the door trying to shut it while holding all these things. And I ended up falling backwards and Nolan didn't see me fall, but he saw me sitting on the garage floor and he thought I was putting my shoes on. I was like, why don't you sit on the stairs to put your shoes on? Why are you sitting on the floor? You're going to get dirty down there. Yes. Yeah. So I was covered in sawdust and I'm sitting on the floor in my church clothes, putting my shoes on. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so we've got a couple set of stairs that we have left that we need somebody to come and get injured on. So if you're willing, let us know. We tried to bribe my niece, but she wouldn't do it. Anyway, so uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I Oh, I finished Crimson Hollow. I finished Crimson Hollow on Saturday, which was we're recording this on, what's the date today? 
21st of May, 2018. Happy birthday to my brother. Um, I finished Crimson Hollow on Saturday and I'm very much looking forward to digging into that. I might actually continue the series before I start revising Crimson Hollow just so I can get the series done and make sure I'm not, you know, I don't have any loose ends and things like that. All right. Do you want to go ahead and give us the quote? You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do by Henry Ford. Yeah. Who's Henry Ford? He made Ford. <laughs> he, he sure did. <laughs> um, why'd you pick that quote? Um, I, I, maybe we've mentioned this before, but like um, people always ask, what's the best way to promote my book? And I always tell them, right, the next book. And that's part of building a reputation. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't build a reputation unless you do something repeatedly. Yeah. And readers, they don't, I mean, if you only have one book out, two books out, three books out, why are they going to take a chance? They want to know that this author, if they fall in love with your books, they want to know that they have a lot to read. And right. if you have zero books out, then they're not, or zero. If you have zero books out, why are yeah, you promoting? It can, it can be kind of painful to like push through to like book three or four in a series or not even in a series, just at all before you start really promoting yourself. But it's hard. It's hard to, because like people read your first book and then forget about you. And then your second book comes out months later and they don't care. Yeah. I mean, it has gotten a bit better with how, you know, because you can be informed of authors you like, you know, when they complete something I and mean, there's pre-orders and stuff like that. So it is better for indie authors than it used to be, but it's still just better to wait until you have a body of work to promote instead of individual projects. It, yeah. Because it's part of building, you know, you're building a brand you're familiar you know people are familiarizing yourselves with your work yeah you know it's good to let them marinate in your stuff and, <laughs> and, and here's the thing like all of the authors listening who are new or don't have books out you know there i'm gonna guess probably one or two of them are going to take this advice and disregard it because we did <laughs> yeah um most authors it's super hard to publish and see your books not go anywhere and have them just sit and languish. But in the beginning, I mean, you, there are several different schools of thought and I don't, well, we're not going to get into this right now. I've got, I've got to actually teach a, I'm going to be doing a business masterclass for, what is it going to be called? Career author masterclass. And I'll, I'll talk about how to start from zero and actually make a career out of it in two to five years. Um, basically the things that the things that I wish that we had done and that I see new authors who have somebody there to help them along the way, I see them do and I see them do successfully. And so when you have new books out, the best focus is, or the best way to focus your attention is by writing more books so that readers know they can rely on you. This is another reason why BookBub doesn't usually accept new authors because they want their readers to be able to discover somebody who's going to stick around for a while. Yeah. So no one hit wonders because there's too few one hit wonders. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? It's not like even one hit wonders, they they don't have a career. They don't even get famous or retire off their one hit generally. No, they don't. You know, I'm right. I mean, yeah. Like, how many one hit wonders can you name? Quite a few, but I mean, people who haven't written anything else after oh, one. I was thinking music, but <laughs> music, <laughs> um, CDs. Back in the day, CDs. Uh, yeah. Yes. But I mean, you know, yeah, usually, I don't know. I mean, they, they kind of push maybe other books later on that don't go anywhere. And so they can kind of limp along, I guess. But yeah. 
What's her face? The Trill Trilogy chick. Oh, I was actually just thinking about her, Amanda Hawking. Amanda Hawking. I really loved her books, and I don't follow. I don't know what. How, I don't I have no idea what's going on with her. You don't ever hear about her anymore. She t- yeah, she took a publishing deal and then fell off the face of the earth, as far as we know. See, and that's just an example. We like <laughs> we don't even know, and and Andrew actually cares. I do. Did, anyway, yeah. I'll probably look up and see what's going on. I but. should. I, I. Well, I check every now and then, but the problem is, is she's gone over to traditional publishing, and her books, like her releases, are like a year, sometimes two years, spaced apart, and that's just not. I can't. It's too long. It's space. too long. I want. People I'm like. People expect instant gratification. You can. You can. Um, what's the word? Critique that all you want, but that's the way it is. So. Yeah. Be faster about stuff. <laughs> be faster about stuff. And build a reputation. Be good, you know, build, make good stuff on, on, on a regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, the reputation, like if people know that you're, you release every three months, every four months, and you've done that consistently for like a year, two years, three years. Then you, you form a habit in your fans to look for you. Exactly. You, you want to program your little hamsters to, <laughs> to be watching for a book from you around those specific times. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, so even if it's a little longer, as long as it's consistent. Yeah. Cause I mean, the faster you release, the faster your career will take off. The slower you release, the slower, but consistency is the key. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be more important to be consistent. Yeah. So anyway, so I've been very, very consistent in the past. And then depending on what's going on, you know, and we can see the royalties, they don't do as well when I'm not releasing consistently. So like the one year when I released four books and they were three months apart, we did decently. And then last year I didn't release anything until July. And then the first half of the year, we actually had a really big promotion in February last year. And that went, that carried us over until the dreaded summer months hit. And then I didn't have a release for like two months after the summer months hit. And then and then the rest of the year went really well. And, but so, I mean, being consistent is really, really big. And what are my recommendations? Don't move. <laughs> Don't do anything. Don't have anything important happen in your life. <laughs> yes. But you know, you get to the point where those things don't happen as often. Like your kids are, you're not having kids anymore. Your family's grown and you're just raising kids and you don't need to move all the time, you know? And so those are the authors that have, have a lot of luck and the ones that are in those places. I'm like, you guys have, you have more time on your hands because I know that there's a lot going on for people who have older kids, but babies and little kids are very physically demanding. Like I can't go to my five-year-old and say, Hey, could you cook dinner? You know, or my two-year-old? Well, I could, (laughs) the two-year-old would love it. (laughs) He would try. He would actually. So would the five-year-old, Yeah. but they're, they require a lot of hands on. And that's one reason I dictate now is because I could, I wasn't getting computer time in. Anyway, so take a look at where you are and figure out what you can do to be more consistent, to build that reputation that you need and to uh, move forward successfully. And, and just also remember that even if you have had problems with consistency and in the past, and you might be right now, this is not just a one year plan or a two year plan. This is the rest of your life plan. If you love writing and you find joy in this, then don't view it as something to get, you know, rich off right now. Just sit back and be patient with yourself and patient with your circumstances, do the best that you can. And then just continue to build your, your backlist so that, and make them good enough books. They're not throwaway books so that in 10 years, when you're in a better position or five years or 20, you're able to take advantage of what you've done. Yes. Anyway, that was a really long, um, we just talked a lot about that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that there was quite a bit of tips that I just gave, but I'm going to give more tips. <laughs> so the, the official tip for 
this um, episode is going to be about covers. So the next little while we'll be talking about book covers. If you have specific questions about book covers, um, this is a great opportunity for you to support us on Patreon and get your questions <laughs> questions answered. <laughs> no more information for you. Cost you. <laughs> um, anyway, so one of the biggest mistakes new indie authors make is using covers that aren't professional. True. Yes. Uh, don't, so don't hesitate to hire someone to take over this aspect of publishing for you because a good cover designer, they've been developing their skills for many years and the cost of the cover will be worth the perfect design for, for your book. I want to, you want people to want to click on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, and not necessarily because it's a train wreck. <laughs> no, that does happen that sometimes. That does happen, but then I don't buy your book anyways. And then a lot of times that costs you um, advertising money. <laughs> I'll click on your horrible ad. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... Which often is the book cover, so... Yeah, a good cover will fit the emotions or the theme of your book. So if your book is... What's a good... Okay, so if your book is a lighthearted romance, should you have a black and red cover? Twilight. Twilight is not a lighthearted <laughs> romance. <laughs> yeah, so, and then if your book is like a fantasy or a science fiction book, it shouldn't be pink, you know? Well, I mean, there there's a balance. You need to match your genre. And the emotions. And then you need to slightly be more noticeable than the ones around it. Yeah. At the same time. Yep. So it's kind of tricky because you want to fit in and then exceed expectations at the same time and nolan has made cover he used to do book covers for publishers yeah and then Um, we retired him because we had zero time i have other things yeah to do um but uh yeah that's something i mean sci-fi covers have a certain you know expectation people have to feel comfortable that it feels right in the genre yeah and then you also have to distinguish yourself like you have to stick out from the ones that are next to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it has to match other covers in the genre, but it needs to catch and hold attention, and it needs to... Small and large, so it has to be scalable. It has to be a yeah. thumbnail you want to look at, and then a big picture you want to look at. Yeah. So if you go and look at fantasy, um, especially urban fantasy type books, there it, the trend is a lot of blues and um, yellows. And so when I was making my book covers for my mosaic chronicles, I used those colors, but I flipped the importance. And so I used more yellows and blues. And if you'll go look at them, they're obviously fantasy. And my books have done exceptionally well since I switched those covers over from, from the other, other ones, my shade amulet series. I, again, you want contrast. If you do fantasy, you need something that draws the eye. It needs to be, needs to have an oomph there, you know, colors, especially. Um, let's see, is any other comments on book cover design? Well, we could go all day about it, but that's good for now. Yeah, agreed. That's good for now. Um, so yeah, I'll, we'll talk about like, let's see, I think next time we'll talk about the cost of the covers, um, places where you can get original artwork. Uh, let's see. Okay. And it then will just, cost you money yeah. To buy them. And then I'll talk about, and, and then we'll eventually talk about in probably two weeks, uh, finding book cover designers, things like that. And then best practices, like, so how to know your books or your book covers are going to be good. So how to get the testing on those that you need. And yeah, I, I love talking about book covers. It's one of my most, my most favorite things to do as an indie author is book covers. And I, I get asked regularly if we, if we do book covers, Nolan, Nolan would probably, I don't know if you had the right project come along. Yeah, it's been a while. 
Okay, so let's go on and get into the movie. What movie are we doing? Jurassic World. Awesome. Do you want to start us off with the characters and stuff? Yeah, so this is a Jurassic Park movie, but has none of the characters from the uh, previous movies in it. So we're starting all over. I don't want to say all over, but we have to we have to reintroduce everyone. Yeah. Or introduce everyone, I should say. Yeah. And so there's, of course, since it's a Jurassic Park movie, there has to be children involved. Yep. Um, and we have two brothers. Yeah, Zach and Gray, who actually have a point in this show. They have more of a point than some of the other ones, which were just to make things feel more dangerous. Yeah. Like, the the show is told from the viewpoint, I would say, of Gray from the very beginning. The, the boy. You know, the wonder, the excitement, the right. enthusiasm for dinosaurs and everything. They, they pull that off using his viewpoint. Exactly. So they're not just puppets. And you, we know, we learn about their backstories. We learn about, and they develop, you know, and there's quite a bit of character development in this, this show, actually. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody has character development, probably, except Owen, you know. Yeah. Owen, it doesn't really matter because he's the... He's the stalwart. He's the... He's the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's an iconic... He's like Indiana Jones. Indiana yeah, Jones he's an iconic grow. hero. Exactly. So there, there's two main kinds of heroes. You know, the dramatic and iconic. So dramatic ones change. And then the iconic ones are like Batman. Superman. Yeah. They don't James change. Bond. Yeah, they don't... They, you know, and if they ever doubt themselves, then they rediscover themselves and then go um, back to what they were before. Exactly. Like, you know, like Batman but, gets injured and then he's like, has those moments of doubt. And then he re remembers, you know, like in the last Batman movie. Yeah. You know, he's down in the pit and then he's like, wait a second, I'm Batman. And then he gets up and does it, you know, exactly. Goes back to being Batman. Yeah. So that's what that's what Owen is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's that guy. He's the he's the he's the guy who already is. He's the competent one who already knows everything's going to go to crap. Yeah. And he pulls everyone through by being competent and knowing how bad things can get. And yeah. already has the skill set necessary. Yeah. 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 And then Claire. Claire has quite a bit of growth in this movie. Um, I kind of feel like her growth was a little bit um, forced almost. Yeah. So the director says that she's the emotional arc that we follow through the movie. And I don't think that. I know, Yeah. I was just like. She's not a likable character. <laughs> She, I like her, but I agree. I, I feel like they tried too hard with her. So, like, they they pointed out too many of her. Can can you guys find the asset? What? Where's the asset? She's too sterile. Like they tried too hard, you know, to make her feel to go one direction so she could go the other. Yeah, exactly. They made her, they made her too inhuman to make her become yeah. a person at the end. Though I did really like um, the one point where the brontosaurus or whatever it's called um, dies and she cries. You know, like mm -hmm. she. You know, I like that. I didn't feel like that was forced. But she does have uh, the emotional arc where she is super cut off from everything. Yeah. And then at the end is not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, the so kids. Then, yeah. Two, so the two boys, uh, I call one the playa. <laughs> That's um, Zach. <laughs> the older one who's all about the ladies. <laughs> and then the nerd one, the younger boy. Gray. Gray. And he's all about the dinosaurs. Yeah. And he's got mad trivia skills regarding even the original Jurassic Park. Which um, is believable to me. You no, know. it totally is. But that's his bag. Yeah. So he's got like the dinosaur trivia going on. Yep. Which does come in handy. But Yeah. And he knows the names of dinosaurs and things like that. So he's able to tell, you know, inform the viewer or the other characters of. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there is Claire, who we've talked about. She's the main person, I would say, of the movie. Yeah. Um, and then Owen, who is her counterpoint. Um, she's the... He's... He, no, she is the super scheduley one, uh, the professional business person. Mm-hmm. And he's the uh, rugged, wild man. <laughs> and he has some of the um, best lines in the movie. Yeah, like when you... when. They, <laughs> When they're in their first scene together, he's fixing a motorcycle. Just like that kind of, you know. Yeah. And by the way, Chris Pratt is not a motorcycle person. Yeah, no. He's he's like, I'm not coordinated enough. I, <laughs> I get hurt too much when I'm riding them. <laughs> yeah, so almost die. <laughs> it was so um, funny. And then we have some extra characters. There's uh, Mr. Mizrani. Yeah. Um, who is the owner of the park. He He got it from Hammond. Yes. He um, took over Hammond's estate. Yeah, Hammond, Hammond left it to him to run it because he thought he would run it the way he would want it. And yeah. he and he did. I mean, he, he did. He had that same because he dies. But yes, <laughs> um, I really then, liked him. I didn't like that he died. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. That's that, that's he, the point. Yeah. Got an, they got an emotional reaction out of you. That's yeah. the point. Um, and then we have Hoskins, who's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And we have some other some other ancillary characters. We have we've got the Velociraptors. I'm sorry, they're actual characters in the movie. They're not setting. Yes, they have growth. Yeah, they're they they are characters for for once. Yeah, they're introduced at the same time as as Owen, and they they're like actually said, the first thing we see in the movie when we talk about the opening scene. No, the opening scene is the Indominus Rex trivia oh, said it? that I it's Indominus. It the egg is. Oh, is it? That's an Indominus oh, Rex because it looks just like a Velociraptor. Well, that's complete foreshadowing. Sense. There you go. Well, there you go. I learned something. Yeah. The Indominus Rex, that's foreshadowing because it's, you know, Indominus Rex is part raptor, so. Yeah. Which is the big reveal. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> end. We casually mention. <laughs> um, the, yes, all of the spoilers. Oh, by the way, spoilers. <laughs> spoiler. Uh, and then, um, you know, Hoskins was the bad, you know, he's the bad guy. He's the in-gen, you know, let's use these dinosaurs as weapons guy yeah and then there's like uh the command center crew which i count as one character yeah i agree with that um then there's i mean owen does have his I mean, we don't have to talk about every single we don't character. have to talk about it um so yeah so there's more people who do stuff but aren't as important i guess yeah they're the secondary characters and not all the sec I, this is a good point they had a lot of red shirts that did not die yeah yeah because like the command center crew doesn't die he doesn't die. Yeah, so some of the sidekicks actually don't die. You think, like, they're disposable characters and they actually aren't, which is refreshing. Yeah. Because um, a lot of times they'll just get killed to, like, shit. So because somebody has to die in that scenario, it's like nobody's getting out of this without getting hurt. We can't hurt the main characters until, like, some throwaway character dies who has, like, one line. Yeah. They um, do kill They do kill main characters. They do. Oscar and that's the main character. That's why, like, you populate it with enough people that, you you know, and you could, in a, more, I would say, more poorly written movie, they wouldn't kill off some more important people. Yeah. And, Mr. Mithron, he's the eighth richest man in the world and they kill him. You yeah. Know, he's not immune to the hubris, you know, or the danger of the island. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Hoskins dies slowly by Velociraptor. And, you know, we've made this point before. They populate, like you're saying, they populated this movie with enough characters that are, that are believable people where it makes the story interesting and it gives us different threads to follow throughout the show. Mm -hmm. So... They, yeah, I thought that was really good. Um, are you okay if we move on to yeah. the next point? Yeah. Okay, so opening scene. Um, okay, so this is the opening scene for this movie is like pretty much the opposite of the opening scene for Jurassic Park 3. It's not aggressive at all. 
it's not, which is good because it was cartoonishly aggressive in Jurassic Park three. It's scratchy, scratch. I was like, oh my goodness, Jurassic Park three. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs are in here. In case you didn't know already. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was deceived by this opening scene because I thought it was a Velociraptor, and they didn't make it clear that it was an Indominus Rex. <laughs> good point. So unless you read the trivia, you think it's a Velociraptor, <laughs> like I did, and then you're like, this opening scene is dumb because um, it is dumb. I'm just gonna come out and say it. Yeah. Compared to the um because it doesn't tell you anything it's like they you can tell that they hatched raptors which is bad i was like so that's good they're telling you know you so you're like they didn't learn their lessons from the first three movies they're hatching raptors and we always know raptors, raptors are a problem well this movie they they are um, still a problem no but, but they ways. they redeem themselves yeah which i mean anyway <laughs> um which i'm well, i'm gonna get into that um, okay <laughs> uh but um if it is the indominus rex then again they didn't they didn't show that. They should no, have had they some didn't. like they should have had some little raptor eggs, and then like this giant Indominus Rex egg, yeah. and then they had come out the same, and you're like, wow, what's that thing? It's bigger than the other things. Yeah, no kidding. You know, they didn't do that. Um, compared to like I was gonna say, compared to the first movie's opening sequence, yeah, which and was, everything has to be compared back to that movie. Yeah, it, which is the origin. So we were we we're gonna compare it. Um, masterfully done. This is garbage. Yeah, I'm just gonna be really strong well, about this language. It's it's not me, interesting. It's in a white like sterile environment um and this egg just hatches and like it's all shaky and like has an eye and you're like okay so what yeah and then the very next thing you see is this big bird i mean this huge bird landing on the ground and it's all it's like a just like a crow or something yeah and it doesn't which it doesn't do anything it doesn't yeah it doesn't it's completely i mean we like this movie but this this opening scene's not effective it doesn't set the tone for the movie no it doesn't tell you anything about the anything it doesn't tell you anything it's like in a white void this yeah. egg hatches and of this unknown dinosaur which apparently i misinterpreted because they weren't effective at storytelling <laughs> um yeah i'm kind of mad about it like like seriously <laughs> compared to the first movie this is not good no it's not it's really not and then the yeah then the, the and then they do the cut to the bird yeah, which is just like it was kind of stupid i'm like are they trying to like build tension by having this they did a jump, they did a jump cut they're like, boop, bird. And you're like, ah, oh, it's just a bird. You know, it's like, why? Exactly. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is a dinosaur movie. Don't jump cut to a bird anyway. That's the point of that. Well, maybe, maybe the Velociraptor and Dominus Rex that has relations to a bird because birds Yeah, I are... think that's maybe what they were doing. Like, look how harmless this bird is compared to a T-Rex. I don't know. Yeah. It was, con- it, from a story of telling standpoint, it's not good. No, I agree. Take that director okay antagonist protagonist the antagonist is hoskins however the real antagonist is the indominus rex yeah um that we've had dinosaurs be the adversary like the spinosaurus in yeah. the third movie um, but the indominus rex is a real character it's like he it he thinks or she thinks her way through things and... a much more effective character than the spinosaurus yeah um their encounters with it are much more engaging yeah they are they're really there it's interesting too you know and hoskins i think hoskins is just a complication to the story yeah he's he's not that yeah he's not really i mean he's a character i think he's, he's an important character but he's not a key like i i mean i'm gonna say this right now i was disappointed that they killed him off because they could have carried him on to further movies um, yeah because you don't like him he, he's a good villain i mean i mean a great villain but i mean he's there 
you know? Yeah. And, and that was actually going to be one of my, I have four points for authors at the end of this book or end of this. I'm just going to give that one right now because I've got four. So, so, I mean, keep the bad guy. We've got Hoskins, Dr. Wu, Darth Maul, you know, Dr. Wu sticks Darth around Maul. Darth Maul. He, they kill him in one movie. Oh, yeah. Darth Vader, they keep him alive for multiple movies. I mean, if you build up a bad guy, let them stay around for a while. It's a lot of fun to, you know, so I'm like Hoskins and Domus Rex is, Rex is dead and Hoskins is dead. You know, Dr. Wu is not evil enough, you know. Oh, you are so wrong. <laughs> Whatever. Because of the pencil. Are you going back to the pencil We're again? We're going back to the first movie, if you'll recall. And re-listen <laughs> to that episode when I mentioned that as a younger doctor, scientist, <laughs> in his falsely white lab coat, the sign of <laughs> scientific purity, oh, he, he uses a pencil. And, and I told you he was a bad seed. And he seat. erased something. And he erased something in a lab. Uh huh. So Cardinal sin. <laughs> he's a bad seed. And I was like, this guy's going down the wrong path <laughs> in his life. I can tell now. Someone needs to shepherd him into a better course. And then here we are in movie four. He's growing at the temples. He looks distinguished. He looks he, reputable. He looks very distinguished. Underneath it all, he's still the guy with the pencil in the lab. <laughs> He even wears a gray lab coat in this to show he's been stained. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's no symbolic, way. Andrea. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... I right? <laughs> if you're writing a series, keep your bad guy throughout. Like, have a main bad guy. Don't do what the Rangers Apprentice did. Rangers Apprentice, they killed the bad guy after one or two books, and then they introduce a new bad guy in the same series. And I'm like, that's so, that's lame. I mean, you can have, I mean, you have to have wins, so you have to, like, defeat people along the way. That's fine. But you but can have mini, like, mini, mini bad you guys. You have to have mini bosses. Yeah. <laughs> for the big boss. Exactly. Just like in video games. It, that's, yeah. That's why they do it. Yeah. Anyway. Like, you know, um, but it's it's for, it for sure it's true, like um, especially the Darth Maul, because they did such a big job of like pumping up how bad awesome he was and like all the trailers and stuff like that. And, then and I just... really liked Darth Maul. And then he doesn't talk at all. And then they kill him. And you're like, what? <laughs> He's yeah. not even a thing. He's just like a speed bump, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Well, they didn't want him to take away from I mean Darth Vader wasn't even around so they could have kept him in the whole time yeah they could have had and I didn't care about Insidious or whatever Darth Sidious yeah yeah well he, you're not supposed to yet anyways he's he's not the face of the Sith at that point that's what Maul's for he's the yeah. he's the one going out and doing the stuff it's just All like right. what they did with you know the Emperor you know the Emperor doesn't do stuff till later you don't you have to get through Vader to get that's to the what Emperor. I'm saying we should have kept Darth Maul around yes I know I agree okay Sorry, very. That was a tangent, but that was my point. Not exactly. It is an example of also what not to do. Like, yeah. see, they didn't do it here and it sucked, and they didn't do it here and it still sucked. Yeah. So if you write series, especially ones that I mean, even ones that don't build on previous books, if you write in a series where characters are the same, then keep your bad guys around for a while. You know, make them make the make it so that when they die, it actually means something. Yes. Have many levels of bad guys for your good guys to overcome. Yeah. Exactly. And don't don't introduce like what they did with Ranger's Apprentice was in the first two books or first three books. I think it was they finally defeat the bad guy. And then you learn in like book four that there's another bad guy. You can't you can't do that. You've you can got leave to, it in early. You leave it in early so that we know that this guy's a bad guy. Yes, but the big bad guy. Yeah, because you see like Vader talk to the emperor. Exactly. And you see him kneel. You don't know anything about the emperor, but you see Vader kneel. 
Yeah. And you're like, after all the crap he's done, he's kneeling before somebody. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. All right. So um, let's go into dialogue, if that's okay with you. Yep. Okay. So, um, okay. So there's one point where the guy, um, what's his name? He's the guy who works with Owen, Owen Grady. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's French. He's a black guy. Um, He says, these people, they never learn. And so my question is then, why are you working there? Why are you working there? He always complains about what a horrible idea all of this is. Did he just want to train velociraptors for fun? Maybe they, they maybe they gonna... gave him a big, like a big bribe or something. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <clears throat> and we don't get his backstory. So why is he opposed to it? Why is he working there? I can't believe I'm being forced to do the job that I was hired for. That he said yes to. That he said yes to. Like, yeah. But it's the same with Owen. It's like, what did you think you were training raptors to do? Like, fetch? You're training them to kill things. <laughs> it's true, actually. You Though, knew all along what was going to happen. Yeah. And they'd be like, that's not what raptors are training raptors are for. Literally, yes, it is. Though, I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think they, they were probably doing it just to see how well they could become trained, you know? I suppose at one point, but they were hired by InGen for that purpose. So, I mean. Well, it kind of felt like Hoskins didn't keep them. He didn't, like, come. He was hired out of the military where he trained animals to do military jobs. Okay. That's, yeah. And then, and then InGen hires him to train velociraptors. And then he assumes they're not going to eat people with them. That's yeah. literally what velociraptors do is eat people. <laughs> crunchy, delicious people. Crunchy, like that's... crunchy delicious people. <laughs> um, okay. So inciting incident. When was the inciting incident? Uh, when the Indominus Rex escapes. And that was like 35 minutes into the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so Jurassic Park, the inciting incident for Jurassic Park was when, I guess, when the park starts to fall apart, right? Which is also quite late in the movie. It is. And the point I wanted to make with this is, like, there's, it's not like with Twilight and New Moon where there's, like, nothing happening until the incident, inciting incident. I feel like with these, with a the thriller, there's stuff going on. Yeah, if you actually spend time building up to the incident, then you can have a late incident. Yeah, and there's important things that we're learning before it happens. Because you have to put your pieces in place. Yeah. If you if you make putting the pieces in place interesting, then you can delay it. But some movies, like, they just d don't fill the first part with stuff. That matters. <laughs> so the thir first, like, third or half of, of the movie is just agony. Yeah. Uh, the second Twilight movie, New Moon, was like that, where the inciting incident doesn't happen until an hour into the movie, which is almost twice as long as this. Mm -hmm. And it's not satisfying when it does because of how bored you are from... I thought it was like 24 minutes or something was like it? that. Was it? Maybe it was. Never mind then. But still, it was It was like three-fourths of or a, a quarter of the movie in. Yeah. Anyway, so what was your point when... We just got interrupted by our daughter. Um, So in case that was disjointed, go ahead and make your point about... You were so with so Twilight, New Moon. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, t I thought Twilight did it later, but even if it didn't, it felt like such a they long time. They both did it at least half an hour into the movie. Okay, so the interactions between the characters, especially since they're characters we already know. Yeah, for tw for um, New Moon, right? Yeah, they could have like had more interesting things happen and skipped introductions because they didn't need to do as an extensive an introduction. Yeah. In this, we had to introduce all of the characters and the new setting. Even though it's Jurassic Park, it's an open park, functional park, which is very different than the other movies. 
Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, Twilight was all the same characters in the same location. They could have gotten right to the story, and they did not. For New Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I mean, so like for a thriller book or, you know, even a science fiction or fantasy, when you have a ton of viewpoint characters and a ton of main characters and and especially where they're all going to have growth of some sort, having having it take a little while to get to the inciting incident is not a big problem. Uh, and how long is um, Jurassic World anyway? Uh, two hours. Two hours. So we hit it at 35 minutes. The inciting incident needs to happen at least a quarter of the way in yeah. or before. And, but the whole point with this is don't have your inciting incident have happen halfway through the story. You need to have it happen quick to the beginning of the story. The story is about the complications that occur from the inciting incident. Yeah. Agreed. Your movie can't be about that no. unless it happens earlier than the end, I guess, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like they don't have a chance to, overcome the problem and then have a resolution that's yeah. satisfying if it's if most of your movie's taken up with all the before stuff yeah okay so foreshadowing um i know you've got a bunch of foreshadowing comments i've got one mine is that every resolution at the end of the climax is seen ahead of time so the t-rex we see the t-rex eat something we so we know the t-rex is still there um the velociraptors we know that owen can work with the velociraptors so that's not a surprise and the mosasaurus is we see the mosasaurus so nothing at the climax there's no deus ex machina basically no and even more than that the uh some of my foreshadowing not necessarily foreshadowing i guess it's not really foreshadowing but they weave elements that are used later in the movie earlier in the movie yeah so um, I will go over mine. Yeah, go ahead. Um, their mom at the beginning says, if something chases you, run. <laughs> Which turns out to be ironic in, but, from their perspective, because yeah. that's like literally what happens. Yeah, I mean, um, that's not anything new to us. We know that they're going to, you know, because yeah, it's a dinosaur it, movie. But Yeah, they don't need to really put that sort of thing in there. Cause but it was still kind of fun. You yeah. Know? Uh, oh, yeah. And this one's from Owen to... Um, Hoskins and he says it's what you know he's like uh, Hoskins is telling him you know it's either you or we do it without you you know progress won't stop blah 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 and then Owen says well, maybe progress should lose for once and it does <laughs> and Hoskins gets killed as a consequence yeah see I didn't even notice that I, I wasn't paying as close attention to their because he's like Hoskins is saying I represent progress yeah, and he dies. And Owen says, yeah, that's maybe progress point. should lose for once, and then he dies. He from... dies. That's that's awesome. That's that's good foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a grill that they show flare at the beginning of the movie when they're running, walking through like the park when it's normal, past like the, you know, where that that main strip where there's restaurants and everything mm -hmm. like that. It flares up, and then during the end fight scene with the velociraptors and everything, one of them dies by grill. See, that's that's funny because I swear I watched every minute of this movie with you and I didn't even notice the grill. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't even know it's that there was a grill fireball. that killed the raptor. <laughs> yeah, and it lands on a grill and then the grill like explodes. Fireballs and like Because that know. that's what happens with that's grills. That's not what happens with grills. If you throw a piece of meat on a grill, it does flare up as your juices. So maybe it broke the propane tank open. Then it would be an explosion and not a, like a flare up. Yeah. I don't agree with the way they kill that raptor. That's not like you get horribly burned by landing on a grill, yeah. especially an industrial grill, but not, I don't know. You don't explode. Yeah. You don't just like die. You maybe not want to do stuff afterwards, but yeah. All right. Continuity um, or is that? Okay. Go. 
uh, the Indominus killing for sport. This is still foreshadowing. Yes, this yeah. is still foreshadowing. Okay. And that's one of the things that tells you before they tell you that the Indominus Rex is part of a Velociraptor. Good piece of foreshadowing there that the, you know, the Indominus Rex kills for sport because that's, we've already, we already know, they've established that clearly in all the other movies that raptors kill for sport. Mm-hmm. And my last comment is um, at one point there in the original park, and in the first movie, there is a suspended T-Rex skeleton that the live T-Rex smashes. The one that the kids fall on? The one the kids fall on. Okay. Um, and the kids from this new movie find their way to that part of the park. Um, well, and Owen and, and uh, what's Claire when they're tracking them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the point is, is that main foyer where the skeleton was. Um, and the bones are on the floor, and the Indominus Rex smashes through the building and then crushes, crushes the, the T-Rex skull. Crushes the T-Rex skull. Yes. Yeah, but then the T-Rex kills it, so... But not on its own. That's true. The T-Rex had to have help. One-on-one, the Indominus Rex would have won. Yeah, because it has the, the four arms that... Longer forearms. Longer and it's smarter. Claws. I feel it's smarter. Smarter. All right, so what are your continuity comments? Uh, they do a good job with continuity... They they cover some of the themes that uh, are in the original movie, or at least fulfill some of them. There, there's the the promise of a functioning park that they try and fail at twice. Yeah. Now there is a park. There's an great. actual park, which is awesome. Which is a interesting. Yeah, of course, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like what happens if? And there it's was been a, running for years. Yeah, and it's full of delicious, crunchy people. <laughs> thousands and thousands Thousand, of them. Twenty thousand crunchy, delicious people are on the island now. Because before it was all small teams of people, people working there trying to get the thing up and running. But now it's yeah. now it's chock full of delicious, nutritious human beings. Are we really all that nutritious? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I guess mostly we're junk food now. Because <laughs> of what we eat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, probably true. Um, the, they also continue the theme of them not really being dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Um, which is how they breed in the first one is because they can spontaneously change gender. Which is not the way they were, at least not those ones. Not originally, no. Yeah. But that's just one complication, because they didn't expect them to be able to mate. Yeah, and that kind of disappoints me. I want them to be real dinosaurs, okay? Sorry, they're just lab show freaks. They're they're lab, dinosaurs, lab but they've got DNA from other creatures in them, so they're not real dinosaurs. And that's the point Grant makes. In the third movie. Yeah. It's like People ask him, why are you still digging up dinosaur bones when you could just go to an island full of dinosaurs and look at them? And he's like, because they're not really dinosaurs. Yeah. They're, they're lab-grown. It would be modified. interesting to take the skeleton of a real dinosaur and compare it to the skeleton of one that InGen created. Yeah. I mean, even if it's close, it's still different in a lot of other movies. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then, oh, the last is the danger of what they're doing. You know, like in the last, in the first movies, they didn't take the danger seriously enough of what they were doing. You know, um, how stupid, like people are used to being the top of the food chain. And then you go to this place where you're definitely nowhere near the top of the food chain. Yeah. In this movie, they, how do I say this? They, um take it less for granted but still get screwed by it <laughs> yeah well in maserati he actually has he appreciates he's kind of like hammond hammond wasn't a less naive Hammond. yeah he's a less naive hammond hammond was the idealistic the optimist and maserati as well but he's miserable miserati but he's very like there's a point where you know the dinosaur escapes and he goes and they're like trying to send a park-wide alarm and 
our uh, five-year-old is in the room right now. We're not going to be able to edit out, edit out her humming and singing. <laughs> um, anyway, so they're like, they're like, send out a park-wide alarm. He's like, no, don't. He's like, a dinosaur dinosaur's escaping. It's an eventuality when you have a dinosaur theme park, you know? He's like, how, how we handle it. We have to be able to take care of this quietly and discreetly. Mm-hmm. You know, because you go to Disneyland and the princesses escape all the time. You do. You can't keep them chained up for nothing. <laughs> no, but like a park ride goes down, the the rest of the park needs to be able to function even when a ride's down. Yeah. So I mean, he you know I like that point that he makes. So he's 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 um John Hammond, but he is more realistic. Yeah, I mean, he even mentions the point of the park is to show you how small you you are compared to nature. Yeah. And you know, it gets him in the end too because even he succumbs to the power of nature. Yeah. Yep. In the form of falling in a deathly fireball. Which, so. by the way, would be terrifying. The falling part, knowing yeah. that you're going to die. But then it's a quick end. Don't fly helicopter in the middle, I guess. Especially <laughs> around dinosaurs. He's like, we don't need another pilot. And he doesn't even have... And we... As you made, you made the point, it's like, why are they giving him a license when he can't even lit, take off? Yeah, he's not, like, that solid on flying. And he's like, oh, two more days till I get my license. Mm, I'd be... <laughs> his instructor, I'd be like, nah, I think we're going to take this... Um, slower buddy because uh yeah if you're if it's like literally the day before you get your pilot's license you should be pretty solid at flying in a straight line and (laughs) taking off and take going from point a to point b on an island that you own yeah and being able to take off on land like those are kind of basic but he couldn't do it so there you go yeah no kidding i guess he could and that other guy couldn't shoot because he didn't uh hit the t-rex with the giant machine gun thing so no. okay so i'm going to talk about romance now if that's okay with you so romance the meet cute in this romance is one of my all-time favorites um the scenes and and it's not technically a meet cute because it's not the first time they've met but it's the first time we are seeing them together anyway it's so awesome it's like it's you know they're both very he's incredibly sarcastic and she's just uh she hates to be there she hates to have to approach him and he's like you know he's She's like, we have an attraction. And he's like, that's not what you said the last time I saw you, you know? And, <laughs> and he's like, dinosaurs have to eat. Dinosaurs have to hunt. Dinosaurs have to, you know, he does the fist pumping thing. And he's like, you can relate to at least one of those things, right? And I just, I love their interactions here. You know, she's like, you might want to change your shirt. They're very sensitive to smell. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. And the, their kiss, it's a fantastic, one of the best kisses in cinematography because it's. Oh my. That's a high standard you're setting. <laughs> no, it's because it's it's so natural and unnatural. Like, you know, he it's so unexpected. And a little bit of trivia here, the director actually asked Chris Pratt, he's like, it wasn't a planned kiss, at least not I mean the director was like, Hey, how about in this next take? Why don't you go ahead and give her a kiss? You know, and she didn't know it's coming and the actress and um that ended up being the take that they took that they used because yeah, and, and that's props to her for not breaking her character when he kisses her, you know? She didn't slap him. <laughs> I know. I was like, you didn't need him? What's going on? <laughs> it's awesome. That would have been pretty good, too, I guess. I probably would have left that in, too. <laughs> that would have been pretty awesome. She goes for it for a little bit and then realizes what's happening and then just... Knees him. Right in the, right in the junk. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's go ahead and talk about conflicts, tri- trifle cycle. Actually, I know that you... Um, had con, con uh, what's the word? 
comments. Comments about the PA system and the oh and the phone connection and yes, that's examples of possible versus impossible. Yeah, go ahead. I only have one. Okay. Um, every phone or radio doesn't work at just the right time to cause a complication in no other times. And you have a frowny face next to your note there. Because it's dumb. <laughs> I put stupid next to my it's, note. It's lazy movie making and is dumb. Yes. Lazy lazy writing on lazy the story writing. writer part. Not good, guys. Like, like yeah, the, the phone cuts out just when they're about to warn him that they're in the, with the Indominus Rex. Yeah. It's a... Tr- Oh, it's in the PA system. And it doesn't do it before and it doesn't do it after. It only does it then. And And the phone connection. And the phone connection messes up when Claire calls to warn just right when it's the danger is happening. They do it twice, like really close together. They shouldn't do it twice or even once. They shouldn't do it at all. Don't do it at all. Don't do it twice next to each other. This, this, the bad PA system, phones having problems. These are cliche. You you should not be doing that in your phone anymore because readers roll their eyes. I I mean, seriously, like, oh, naturally, of course the phone's going to have problems. Unless it's like a phone that's really bad and always has problems. And you see that in all the way throughout the whole story, you know? It's just, it's not good storytelling. Which it wouldn't be at a resort town anyway. No, exactly. There's one place that things are probably going to work right. I mean, it's in a well-established area. I mean, how hard, I mean, how often does your phone not work going to work? Yeah. I mean, well, like, never. Mine, mine, does it, <laughs> mine does at work because I'm in a giant metal building at the very edge by a mountain. Yeah. So... <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I think that I. But they're but they're literally yeah, but they're literally at like a summer resort. Yeah, and it's not like it is on an island, but I'm sure that there's by this point that's this been going on for like ten years, five, ten years. You saw how big those hotels were. That yeah, they they've around. got the cell companies. There's no way the cell companies are going to miss out like, on. Yeah, like within the park, there shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Yep. Especially when they don't talk about it ever being a problem. It's okay. Just, it was, yeah. Okay, so I've got a comment on plausible versus implausible. Indominus Rex versus the fanny pack. Oh, uh, yes. How do you feel about that? So stupid. I hate it when they... Yeah, um, so... Uh, the Indominus Rex snares the fanny pack of the youngest boy. Gray. Gray, and attempts to attempts to pull him out attempts. Of, the, of the building that they're hiding in because... While, while Owen and Zack hold him back. Because a teenager and one pretty buff guy, I'll admit, uh, <laughs> and one weak teenage kid obviously are overpower a, you know, 50 ton dinosaur. Yeah. And that's that's funny. Even if you're talking about the muscles in the dinosaur's arm and you've got these three people fighting it, the dinosaur just needs to lean back and it's got its whole body weight yeah, behind it, that. I mean, even if it has wimpy arms, it's, it, and, which it doesn't, its weight alone yeah. is enough to turn the tide. Like, they, he would be picking up all three of them, like, yeah, little baby please. And I'm going to bet that we don't need to tell the readers, I mean, our listeners about that. I bet our listeners, when they saw the movie, they're like, are you serious? Yeah, it's completely, completely ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. All right. So comments. Let's see. You don't have any more comments on the rest of the page, right? No research. uh, I had stopped with the lens flares. Oh, yes. Lens flares. Yeah. Lens flares are really annoying. Especially when there's like no point to that one. Yeah. It's the headlights of a car at like one o'clock in the afternoon. They yeah. don't lens flare. No. <laughs> you can barely tell. No, and they're in the forest, but the forest isn't that dark there. It's not that dark. It's no. it's well lit area. There's no so, lens flares. So how do we relate that back to writing? I mean, don't use lens flares in your book. Okay, got it. 
done. Yeah, they, it distracted from where the attention should have been. Like it didn't emphasize the right part of the scene. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we've got the guy getting out of the jeep, and the lens flares down in the in the bottom of the the yeah. scene. The head guy of the the attack team. The attack team is getting out of the. It's like the first good. Maybe not first, but he's actually in the field. He gets out of his truck and he's like looking intense. Yeah. And then there's a lens flash in your face. Like yeah. You're just like there. Yeah. No, there. There's one point where a lens flare is actually okay, and it's when we we it's our hero. You know, the iconic like you were saying that. Yeah. Great, it just know, shows Owen. his outline um, to start with, and then he comes like into. I don't want to say into focus. But yeah, this like is that. Owen with the Raptors. In case nobody right, right. followed that. Yeah, that's his opening shot. Like the sun is behind him, backlighting him, and he's just a shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, in a like a in his very iconic. He's up in the on that bridge thing. You know. Yeah. The light's shining behind him, like oh. <laughs> no, but I mean, in that case, it drew attention to him. It drew attention to him, not from him. Yeah. Um, the contrast between the the sun behind him and his shadow. Made it yeah. stark contrast, not like, oh, look, there's a guy and the headlights shining in my face. Why would you do that? So when you write a scene, make sure you understand the point of the scene. Scene construction is important. Where the and, emphasis is supposed to be. And, and something, to be on. You, a comment you made earlier, uh, not in the podcast episode, was don't repeat things. Like, don't repeat your, like, don't use repetitive words. You know, they, they when they repeat lens flares too many times, it's one trait that they're doing over and over again. Looking at you, Star Trek, the movie. Yeah, that whole franchise. Yes. Um, yeah, or yeah, or or the radio thing. Don't do. They did that twice too. Why'd you do that twice? Or the phone not working. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Agreed. It's it's only two hours. Like you couldn't go two hours without repeating the same gimmick. My goodness. Yeah. Sad. Okay, so it's I've, not an interesting one either. It's just no. Like random stuff. It doesn't add to it. It doesn't yeah. make the show prettier. Okay, so I have a comment on comedy. So there's a part where the boys get in the back of the truck and Claire's like, put your seatbelts on. And then there's no seatbelts. And she's like, okay, um, hold hands. And she disappears. And then we pan back to the boys and Gray's holding his hand out. And he like nudges his yeah. brother. He's like, hey, come on, she said to hold hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. So um, talking about the soundtrack a little bit, the very first song they talk, they show us, they give to us is a Christmas song. And the last line we clearly hear before they cut away is may all your troubles be far away. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing actually, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting choice for the soundtrack, especially since it's a Christmas song in a movie that has nothing to do with Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why they bothered to have it be Christmas that they go during. It really doesn't matter at all. It doesn't, it doesn't add to the plot. Usually when Christmas is mentioned, the movie is about Christmas. Or like it's a romance. Or just Christmas know? time. Because like they go to South America. I don't understand. Did they just want to put as much distance to make it feel like like a trip? You know what I mean? To draw yeah. a contrast between their... The two locations or something. Yeah. But they didn't need... They didn't... I don't know. I don't feel like it really mattered, but... It didn't add to the story. That's why I'm guessing they did it. Uh, but I did like that the soundtrack was more of a revisit to the original one. You know, I already we already talked a little about that. So Gray's PO vo- you know, point of view is wonder and awe, and the soundtrack reflects that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, okay, so while we were watching the movie, I was thinking, I mean, is this plausible that, Gr- that Owen Grady hadn't heard of the Indominus Rex? And then they actually explain it, which I appreciate. They use cuttlefish to help the Indominus Rex handle the accelerated growth. And so it is more plausible that that Owen hadn't heard of the Indominus Rex yet, you know? And I, I like that, you know, if you have, if you have implausible things, explain why, unlike when 
Eric in episode or movie three, how he's like, you don't want to know about the T-Rex's urine, you know? Right. So that's... Like, yes, I do. Yeah. So if there's something that the that readers would view as implausible, make sure you explain how it could be plausible. Okay, so the climax. Lots of in the right space at the right time stuff for the most action and conflict to be visible. We've got people running away from the dinosaurs and they just keep happening to get in the way of the dinosaurs. Yes. Just to make the climax more interesting. Yeah. It'd be better if they ran in a straight line instead of a circle and trying to get away from the dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so the T-Rex and the Velociraptor team up. I absolutely love that. I thought that was really awesome. And... It looks cool, even though I don't think it's plausible. Yeah, I don't think it's plausible either. It'd be more likely the Velociraptors would team up against the T-Rex. Right? Yeah. Well, like Especially because they give them no reason why they switch sides at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. And then two of them like, die right away. Well, one of them dies. There's one that doesn't ever come. Oh, that's right. That, that, he gets shot by a rocket launcher. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so they don't ever give a good, a good excuse for why the Velociraptors started obeying Owen again, you know, cause he, they turned on him when it was, I don't know. I wish that they could have shown something where like if the Indominus Rex had attacked one of the Velociraptors and then the other ones teamed up with Owen against him, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But they don't do that. But they, they barely, he barely had a walk on them in the beginning and he, he talks about how dangerous it is and you see him, you know, he can slow them down for a minute, but then they ultimately do go after him. It's just that he gets to the door first. Exactly. And then they completely switch sides and then then switch back for no reason when there's no cage or threat. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem plausible. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so the epilogue, the resolution, we get the T-Rex coming out and, he, and he's on top of the command center and he roars and I'm like, oh, I love it. And then they cut the roar off. And that really bothers me until I think a little bit deeper about it because it shows that the story isn't over yet, you know, mm -hmm. that we're not done yet with the Jurassic Park movies. And that makes me happy because I love the Jurassic Park movies. But then again, I want to hear the T-Rex roar more, you know? Sure. <laughs> All right. Are you okay if I do trivia now? Yes. Okay. So Chris Pratt predicted in Parks and Rec that he would be in Jurassic Park 4. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a bit of trivia that we saw in the, they did a commentary with Chris Pratt and they're like, Hey, so you, uh, predicted. Yeah. So tell, tell about that. What it was. Uh, yeah. Um, he was doing a comedy bit for, you know, like where he was, um, pretending that like, um, what was his name? Steven Spielberg was texting, texting him. him and he's like, sir, I can't, I'm busy. I can't be in Jurassic Park four right now, <laughs> you know? And then. Later, he's totally in Jurassic Park 4. So. And it, it's funny because in Parks and Rec, he's like overweight and he's, you know, he's a comedian guy. You know, he's right. not, he's not a hero. <laughs> no, instead of some macho, um, yeah, hero. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I thought that was fantastic. And um, Jurassic Park 1 is rated 8.1 and Jurassic Park, Jurassic World is 7.0 on IMDb, which this, this is not, I don't know, this isn't as good a story as Jurassic Park 1, but it's also not quite the same genre, you know? It's not. It's it's more of a the summer action blockbuster type movie. It's not a... It's not a heavy thinker. It, it, not as much as the first one. Yeah. You know? So a lot of people were speculating that Chris Pratt's character, that Owen... You know, remember in Jurassic Park 1? Jurassic Park? Where the kid is like, the Velociraptors aren't scary at all, and, and Grant takes a, the Velociraptor claw slices him across the stomach a lot of people speculated that 
Chris Pratt is that boy all grown up, but the actor for that boy, he dismissed the idea. He's like, uh, guys like me don't grow up to look like Chris Pratt. And he did not. <laughs> no, uh, but I thought that was funny. And besides, like, Chris Pratt is, like, so blonde, you know? I mean, his hair's not fully blonde, but he's, that kid had very dark hair, you know? Yeah. Most people don't go the opposite direction until they gray. Yeah. They don't go from dark-headed to light. Um, and then, okay, so when Claire turns on the hologram of the Dilophosaurus, when they're running away from the Velociraptor, she uses just to, uses it to distract the Velociraptor. That's actual footage from when Nedry was attacked by them. Nice. Which, yeah, I thought that was cool. And Trevorrow, the director, approached Steven Spielberg with the story ideas. Um, I can't remember if we talked about that or not already, but... Um, so, Steven, they actually had tried to write this story for several, like 10 years or something like that. And mm -hmm. he approached uh, Spielberg and that's the reason why they picked him to direct it was because he actually came with legitimate ideas. At least they took their time this time. Yeah. To they actually didn't do put the, the story the shameless cash wearing grab of movies two and sort of three. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> no, I really, I agree. And Which, this... you know, I mean, make your money, I guess, but yeah, no, but don't expect it to go well. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is the fourth highest grossing film of all time. At the time it was made, anyway. 2015, yeah. Which is pretty, that's pretty big, impressive. you know? Yeah, There's a impressive. lot of high grossing movies out there, and I'm I'm proud of them, because it's one of my favorite movies, so. Yeah. And, let's see, guess how Zach and Gray auditioned for the movie? How? <laughs> they sat in chairs, and they screamed, pretending a dinosaur was about to eat them. Yep. It's a useful skill in this movie, so. <laughs> it is. Lots of screaming happening. Okay, so this is something that was interesting that kind of disappointed me. Um, Zach and Gray were supposed to hide where Nedry died and find the embryos. Yeah, we mentioned that in the first movie. Like, who will find the embryos? Yeah. And then they, our dream was almost fulfilled, but it wasn't. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe Dangerous. they'll return to that. and <laughs> they'll, they'll actually do something with that in one of the future movies. That's what I'm hoping will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Harrison Ford was supposed to star in the show, but he dropped out due to how Indiana Jones 4 went. I wouldn't show my face on film <laughs> either. Well, Indiana Jones 4 came out in 2008. That's not enough time still, to this day, between <laughs> us and the Crystal Skull. That would be okay. <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal It was such a bad movie. Yeah, I mean, it was it's objectively, so bad. It's objectively a horrible movie. Yeah, I feel so bad for him having to do should, that should one. Should we do that one next? Not next movie, but like... But uh, have it be in our in our lineup? And just hate on it. <laughs> just, just hate on it all day. That that right there, you complain again about Star Wars being redone. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is how I feel about Star Wars. Indiana Jones was the very first PG-13 movie I ever watched growing up. And I love that franchise. Like, love it. And Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kills me. Yeah, it hurts to watch. It's it's physically painful for me to watch. Um. Okay. So Dwayne Johnson was their first choice to play Owen. No. No, I agree. No. I don't know what else is. <laughs> he would. I don't I know. I like The Rock. Uh, for that role, no. Yeah, I no. really like The Rock. I really like him as an actor. Um, but I don't He's know. He's too big. He's physically for that role. I mean, it's just. He'd look really incongruous compared to everyone else. Yeah, and he would steal the show because he, he's yeah. a huge actor. He's such a big no physical presence. Intended. Yeah, no, I mean, he's like literally taking up the screen. Time. Yeah, like yeah. In, um, it's too on the nose, I think. Yeah, maybe, I agree. For an ex-military I mean, guy, and then you have he, The Rock be like a six foot five, like 300 deep. Well, he, he's like the stereotypical military guy. Yeah. 
And and Owen Grady is not what we usually think of when we think of military. Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, he's literally more like what the military would like. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, yeah. I have brother, I have a brother and a brother-in-law that are in the military, and they're more like Owen Grady than they are the The Rock, you know? Yeah. Okay, so... I mean, well, I think he could have acted the part well. I, I just don't... I'm having a hard time picturing it. I just am. I am, too. I don't... I'm, I'm like, really glad We love you, The Rock. Him. We love you, The Rock, but no. Just like Harrison Ford. We love Harrison Ford, but no. Uh, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have one last bit of trivia. Actually, okay. I have a couple bits, bits of trivia, but this one... I need to get your honest reaction on this one. Okay. Okay, are you ready, ready for it? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah! <laughs> our our five year old believes that dad's ready okay, for that this. Gave me the courage. <laughs> that that gave him the courage to be ready for it. Thanks for believing in me. <laughs> okay, so the position of Claire was almost offered to Kristen Stewart. <laughs> but they ultimately decided she was too young. She's too a lot of things, like <laughs> rabbit stenchers. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. And again, I don't want to offend Kristen Stewart because um, I think it's, you know, she's, she could get braces actually. <laughs> <laughs> Teeth are something you can fix. I have a problem with making fun of actors and actresses who look wrong. I don't, I don't agree with physical, you know, physical therapy. I'm, as I'm messing with my sprained ankle, I don't, I don't think that somebody's career should be depend on plastic surgery, but no, you no, can no. have braces. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, I think she's like too wrong for that part. She's like, emo chick yeah she would oh it would can you imagine her and owen making out Ew, it, okay all right we're not gonna no yeah no no we have to let's move it on or how about this the rock and kristen stewart let's replace <laughs> the entire cast with the original <laughs> all right kristen stewart and harrison ford making yeah out. <laughs> no, that's, more, that's more plausible me. no like she's fine as bella yeah, I actually she like Bella her as Bella. She's like pale and mopey. Fine. Yeah, but Claire not is pale Claire. and and authoritative. It, yeah, she's take charge. And Bella, I mean, I not, not Bella, but Kristen Stewart's character. I don't know. In seven, this, the Huntsman movie or whatever it was, she was fairly take charge in that one. That's true, and she fit that part well. I actually she did. Didn't mind her in that movie. No, me. But neither. I just like it. It's mind blowing to me that they almost picked her for this movie instead of. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard is mature. She's got a ton of movies behind her. You know, she's yeah. been doing this for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, just the part itself. I just like objectively, I just think that would have been a casting disaster. Error. Yeah. Okay, so I retract what I said. I mean, because Owen, I mean, Chris Pratt didn't have a ton of movies behind him at this point, no, and he still did really movie. good in this movie. Yeah. So I mean, but still, I mean, she just would not have been a good choice. Anyway. Yeah, I find that shockingly... Um, Appalling. Uh, uh, yeah, like, I don't know why, like, I find that so offensive. Because, like, we've seen movies with Krista Seward that aren't bad. So it's yeah. not... I don't think that she's bad in certain roles. No. I just don't think this is for her at all. No. No, I'm trying to picture so her weird. being it's serious. So weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like... It's being just, in charge it, and... It's blowing my mind. And she's probably far too young to be running a... A, a company that's been going for, like, five, ten 20, years. A 20,000-person resort. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why they decided ultimately she was too young. But man, too bad for her though. Could you imagine that that they decide it was your age? That usually doesn't go against you, you know, when you're right. Yeah, but I'm young. <laughs> Sorry, actress. <laughs> All right. So, are you ready for top biggest takeaways? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So here we go. Number one, 
uh, continuity was very good. Mm-hmm. Between the series or in the between movie? The, within the series and within the movie. Okay, yeah. Um, they made it, like, the themes connected. Yeah. So that was done very well. Anyway, okay, that's my takeaway number one. So in your series, make sure they all feel like they tonally belong together. Yeah. I've seen some series where, you know, five stars, five stars, five stars, one star. And you're like, why does book number seven in this 15 book series have one star? And they're like, it's a flashback and it's a flashback to like a whole other thing, you know, and no, it's one of these things does not belong. Little Sesame Street. Yeah. So don't do that. I mean, you can, I mean, sometimes you can have books, I guess, like spinoff ones that take a very different tack. Yeah. But they need to be aware that there's that kind of a break with the series. It's not yeah. part of the like, mainline series. Yeah. Anyway, that was number one. All right. Okay. So while, while you're thinking about yours, then I'll go ahead and do mine. Here are my top three biggest takeaways. Okay. So first off, don't get your couple together and break them up again at the end of the movie. So National Treasure, we get the, this couple, they get together and by the end of the movie, they're together. And then a start of beginning the um at the start of movie two, they're not together anymore. And it totally invalidates the romance in your in your movie. Yeah. So they want to have a romance arc, but they don't want to have to introduce two new characters or continue with the one that they have. Yeah, because they get together and they're like, well, what comes after that? You know? Yeah, and then they have to get then they yeah, they get together and then they have to re get together and it's the same story over again. So. And and what how this applies to this movie is we already know that in the next movie they're not together, you know, because they're they're they have in the trailer they have a scene where they're in like a in a restaurant or something like so what have you been up to over the last few years you know and that's just disappointing to those of us who cheered for them to get together throughout the first movie so in a series if you want to have the romance arc fit the whole series right i think most people want to have a romance subplot in all of their books so have it be so that in the first book they you know, they get to the point where they can hold hands, you know, but they don't kiss, you know, and there's nothing wrong with breaking or pushing the physical aspect of a relationship throughout the series. If that, if the romance is not the point of the series, you know, and even if it is, if you write clean romance or whatever, um, but don't ruin your romance re- viewers, your mo- romance readers. They want the couple to get together and stay together. Otherwise it totally invalidates the romantic subplot. Okay. So that's my first takeaway. Then my second takeaway is, um, uh, your it's a logical thing. So when you're reading or writing, you need to have your answers match the questions. You need to have the start of a sentence fit the end of the sentence. It needs to have a logical flow. And so the reason I'm bringing this up, okay, so let me give you a bunch of different sentences to, to our sentences, dialogue bits of examples from the movie to, to basically make my point. So we've got the guy who's wearing the Jurassic Park shirt. I can't remember what his name is, but he's in the command center and and Claire is like, how soon until the dinosaur is moved? And so, and then the chick is like, well, it's stoned, you know, they've, it's got, it's totally unconscious. And then the guy's like, you do realize these are real animals, right? And I'm like, what does that have to do with her asking how soon until it's moved? I mean, what her question, it's a legitimate question. And his answer is there only to show that she views these animals as specimens and assets and not actual animals. And it's really it's so on the nose and it's so fake. It just pulls you. It makes you notice the dialogue. You know, it's like, like, he's like, you do realize these are actual animals, right? Okay. So that's the first example. And then the second example is this guy is, 
So a pig escapes and it's running through the Velociraptor cage. And this guy is trying to, to pull it out of the cage. He's trying to get it back. He's like, ah, pig's loose. And he falls into the cage and Owen tells him later after he rescues him, he says, don't ever turn your back on the cage. And the guy never turned his back on the cage. They're just trying to point, you know, make a point, you know, the dinosaurs aren't to be trusted. The dinosaurs are dangerous. Don't turn your back on them, you know? And so that's the point they're trying to make, but they, it was like, they pushed it too far. And then let's see another example when Owen, you know, after the Indominus Rex escapes and kills a bunch of people, Owen breaks into the command center and he's like, he's like telling Claire what to do. And she's like, you are not in control here. And I'm like, the natural thing for people to say would be, you are not in charge here. Not, you are not in control here. And I mean, you have feelings about control. I mean, the, the theme of this show, of these shows is control. Is that right? you're not really in control. Yeah, that you're not really in control. So they're talking about the overarching, like, allegorical point of the movie. And it's like, oops, you broke the fourth wall in your dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whole, the whole theme of the movie is control. And she's like, she's like telling us, you know, hey, mm. you are not in control here. Anyway, so find a better way to make your point. Um, you need to make sure that the the sentences and dialogue, all of that, not even just when people are talking, it needs to be logical. Like you need to make sure grammatically, you know, what you start your sentence with, it ends with that. Okay. So that's my second point. And my third point is, okay. So one of the, one of Trevorrow's favorite moments in shooting is when the Mosasaurus soaks 200 extras. And it's such an old school thing. You know, there's no special effects in there really. It's just a whole bunch of water soaking a whole bunch of people. And he said that was one of his favorite parts of the filming. And so my point is you need enjoy and have fun with things that are out there, you know, experiment with like the point of view character and, and, you know, like if you're going to write first person present tense, things like that, just have fun and explore and enjoy those types of things, but don't hesitate to follow back on things that are old and proven and stuff that you know you're good at. Like the things that your readers enjoy about what you write, you like your strengths and things like that. So don't hesitate to branch out and, you know, play around with things a little bit, but, but if it comes down to it, it's probably, it's, it's okay to fall back on proven methods. All right, so your points, what are point, your points? Okay, so point number two, um, try to have an engaging beginning. <laughs> um, so many books, this is this movie does the opposite of what a lot of books do. Uh, a lot of books have a very tightly edited beginning because the, the author goes off over it like a million times to make it perfect, and then the rest of their book sucks. Yeah. I felt like the movie. this movie was the opposite. The yeah. opening scene was a bit of a letdown it was a letdown so it wouldn't have stopped us from watching the rest of the movie it didn't it wasn't but, it wasn't horrible it's just like that they had a, a chance to make an impression and didn't do it yeah the problem with that is jurassic park this is a franchise that is well known and well loved people who are fans of these movies will finish watching but you can't do that you can't count on that with your books you know like if your opening scene sucks readers probably won't finish it depending on how long they've been following your career. It's a much bigger time commitment to read a book than watch a movie as well. That's, that's a good point too. So actually even like my mom absolutely loves one of my author friends books, but she started reading a book that she's like, oh, I just could not, it just wasn't good. And she didn't finish the book, even though she loves that author's books, you know? So if the book, if your opening scene is not well, basically what I'm saying is you can't ever get to the point where you, you get comfortable in you know, you're like, ah, now yeah, these readers, they'll read anything I write. So I'm just going to put whatever I want out. You know, mm -hmm. you want to make sure that everything you do is your, the best of what you can do. Right. Yes. 
Third point is uh, keep your characters' motivations consistent. Uh, the Velociraptors do a 180 for no reason. Oh, yeah. Good point. That's not... I mean, they're animals, but still. Their motivations are simple. We've talked about this in others where uh, character motivations seem to just spontaneously change. Yeah. Uh, I think Sweet Home Alabama... You mean the, the erotically? Mother, behaving erotically? Yeah, behaving erotically, yes. <laughs> um, where Where you're like what's going on with this person because like they're this and they're whatever happened to, to be needed to be a counterpoint in the scene yeah so she's like for oh, yeah. you in one scene and then against them in the next yeah. because that's what had to happen for them to have somebody to bounce off of yeah 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 but she was just like a windsock like you know like whatever the way the wind was blowing whoever was in the scene and she was always the opposite of what yeah you know and our um, velociraptors are like that yeah like velociraptors they had to be with owen at the beginning because that's what you needed to have the plot go forward. And they yeah, had yeah. to switch at the end because they had, they needed them to win. Yep, yep. And for no other reason. Yeah. Um, so give them reasons. Like, yeah. you can be that, like, crazy. Mm -hmm. You can have big changes in behavior in a character in a movie. I mean, like, we expect them to, some of them, at least, to behave differently at the end yeah, of the yeah. movie than at the beginning. Yeah. But there should be a reason somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and people can have very unpredictable behavior but it shouldn't feel unpredictable to us. Yeah, no kidding. Especially like that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, yeah, those are all excellent points I just made. <laughs> I was you trying don't to say so yourself. I don't, I don't know why I was going with that, but I decided to finish with a compliment uh, <laughs> to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, any last... Your points were good, too. <laughs> My, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Hubris. <laughs> One of the things in this whole franchise. Yeah. The, the pride. Yeah. Close before fall. <laughs> Are you predicting a fall? Please don't take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You fell already. Yes. Yeah. I, I fell off the stairs and sprained my ankle. <laughs> Next time I'll take you with me. Yeah. <laughs> Any closing comments on the movie? No. Those, those are, yeah. Those are the main takeaways for me. It's a great movie. It's a different style different it's not different enough to not feel like it's part of the series but it is different from the first one yes yeah so go ahead and send me emails at andreatselfpublishstrong.com and next week we're doing johnny english and the week after is our marketing podcast episode and then we're doing a whole bunch of other movies like i already said at the beginning of the episode so yeah thank you for listening and we'll um talk at you later because we won't be actually talking to you later yes <laughs> with you later all right okay bye bye, bye.